Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Philip Sobrinsky podcast series. I'm very excited to have Brock Tully here today as our guest. Brock has biked around North America three times. He's written multiple books and has uh, done some concerts that he's going to tell you a bit more about. Brock, do you want to? I'm really happy to have you on the show. First off, thank you for taking the time to be here today. Um, do you want to give a quick little introduction to the audience and tell them a little more about what you've done uh, with in the past there? Okay, thanks so much, Phil. Um, well, as you mentioned, the bicycle trips. I've done three bicycle trips around North America, a total of about 50,000 kilometers. The last two were to raise awareness for a kinder world. And then I've been doing a lot of local community events, like a World Kindness concert I did for 12 years. Kindness Rocks is a, a show we do in schools to prevent bullying, and that's been really, really successful. And, and then I've written nine books now, and more five of them are books of inspirational thoughts that have kind of come through me, and, and um, little thoughts. And then I've got a couple of children's books, and then I have a book that was based on my first bicycle trip, I did that way back in 1970 before people were bicycling and um, I wrote a book about that. Awesome, yeah you gave me a book last time we got together and it has some really cute anecdotes that I really enjoyed and so they're very um, unique books and I really do enjoy them. Oh, thank you. Um, first off, I want to kind of find out a little more, what made you start biking? You've biked around North America three times, what made you, the first time you went, what inspired you or what got you going to start biking? You know, it was amazing because I didn't do it with any purpose in mind or anything. It was almost a choice between taking my life, I almost committed suicide, and or um, doing this bicycle trip. And a young guy actually asked me if I wanted to ride across North America, nobody had ever done it. And I was student teaching at a school at that time. This guy was such a unique guy, he was 17, the only guy riding a bike to school because the school was up on a hill and I was doing my student teaching there and he had an old three-speed bike. And uh, I said, sure, and I thought he was kidding me, but he kept me at my word, and next thing you know, a couple of weeks later, we were taking off across North America, and I had a hard time keeping up to him on his three-speed bike. We had packs all over our back. It's not like now with the nylon packs and everything. So we had packs all over us, and I had an old 10-speed. That's all there was really at that time. And um, we just rode, and he did, did the first part of the trip as far as Minneapolis, and then I just kept going. And I'm just so grateful, well, to him for getting me started, but I needed to be alone. I, I wanted to continue on my own because for the first time in my life, I was doing something by myself. Because, you know, when you're young, you, you go to a movie with somebody just so everybody thinks you have friends, or you do things just so everybody thinks you're okay, you know. And so finally I was alone with myself and what happened was I was able to start listening to um, my one voice in my heart. And how old were you at this age? I was 23 then. 23. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so I just was riding, riding every day. If you ever saw the movie Into the Wild, it was a journey like that back to my heart and it was unbelievable. And you got down to Minneapolis and how far did you go from Minneapolis? Well, from Minneapolis, I went to Washington, D.C., on the East Coast, down to Miami, through the South, like Louisiana, Mississippi, 1970, you know, you don't want to look like me, and, and I know this is on podcast, so you don't see me, but I had, <laughs> I had long hair and my big mustache. So, you know, and they had me in jail. Don't worry, we'll post an, a picture of Brock oh, for everyone yeah. to see. <laughs> that would be great. And so they, they um, had me in jail at, in Mississippi, just because of the times, and, and so I was crazy. They're just like, get this guy out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so I just was riding, and then I went 
to into Mexico, and I did a figure eight in Mexico all the way down to Central America, and then came back up into the states. So, on that first trip, at that time we called it miles. Now we're in, in kilometers, so I'm still having a hard time adjusting. But I went ten thousand miles, which is about sixteen thousand kilometers. Wow, that's impressive. It was it was amazing. Um, going back to the original cause, so you said you were suicidal around 23. Um, you know, I look at you as a very inspirational person now. Um, I can't imagine what was going on in your life at 23 that had you thinking about taking your life. You know, it's almost like I was numb. You know, in a way, I I was at university. I was at UBC. Um, I was playing football for the football team there, and in a fraternity, and drinking a lot, a lot of drugs, and just you know being. Um, a 23-year-old that I, I consider, I don't like to say this because about people, but it, I think we lots of many people go through it, right? But I, I, I was very unconscious. I was, you know, I was just following the crowd. I was doing what, you know, would look good for my parents or whatever, studying and, uh, you know, not really there to learn, but to pass. You know, I think... Not really feeling what you wanted to yeah, do or going after what yeah, you thought. Yeah, it wasn't even, that wasn't even in my thoughts, but there was something deep down inside that was, I felt like I landed on this planet by some mistake. I thought the way that I was thinking was so different from other people that I just was misplaced, you know, like I, I wasn't meant for this earth. And now I speak of things about what I feel and I'm finding really that I believe most people feel like I feel. I feel, you know, I don't like to speak for other people, but I, I, I feel like I, I, um, we're very disconnected. People are very disconnected from their own heart, which means we're really disconnected from others. And so I was really feeling that and I was learning. So these little books of thoughts, these thoughts were coming through me when I was finally able to listen to this one voice instead of all the voices in my head from my parents, from people saying you can't do that or do this, you know, all those, so many voices in my head that were confusing me. And finally I got to listen to this one voice, started writing these little books, and now they've like, the Reflection series has sold over 100,000 copies, which is all over the world. And I mean, it's unbelievable because I was failing in English in school. I failed in geography, now I love maps and to think, you know, here on the trip and just to think people are living in these little places all their lives or, you know, I'm fascinated with things that uh, mm -hmm. before I, I just wanted to pass. And I think when we're in grade one, we're excited about learning and when we finish school, we're afraid of failing. So it really made me think, why does that happen? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you um, more than that. Um, for me, the interesting thing there is that you know, I think we all feel like we're a little bit weirdos, right? And kind of like, you know, we're all out of place in this world. And it's funny, we live in a very social media connected kind of world, right? But the amount of people I talk to that feel disconnected from their day-to-day -day lives, it just it seems there's, you know, thousands. That was part of the inspiration for this podcast, right? Is for people to share their stories and kind of recognize that we are a lot more connected than we think. And there's a really good book that Seth Godin put out and he said, We Are All Weirdos, the title of it. Yeah. And uh, it's true, you know, we, we all feel like we're so disconnected and we're not... But we're all the same, right? We have very similar wants and needs. We all have the same fears, the same feelings, and, and everything, you know. And But, you know, if I'm speaking at a school to prevent bullying, um, if I said to the kids, how many of you have been bullied? You know, every hand would go up. But generally, if we're bullied, we think we're the only one. And that's so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, speaking at things. That's why I think you're doing this, because you want people to see that 
deep down we are all the same and we all have been hurt and you know we all have the same fears and and that we're not alone and that's so empowering because when we know that then we can start to grow and not be so afraid and and to see that it takes courage to grow and, and back in touch with our heart and not have to hide that not to feel isolated Interesting. With all the uh, knowledge and experience that you've developed over the years, what are you currently working on today? Like, where do you put in your passion and energy and all this experience to use now? Well, you know, well, for, for many years, for about 10 years, I uh, toured in my old, funky old homemade camper with my books because I was so excited about them all over the United States. And that was really nice. But then as I toured like that, I felt very disconnected from community, even though I was, I think I was touching people's hearts with what I was doing. I miss community. I'm really a community person. I've always have been. And so I came back to Vancouver and started to organize like the World Kindness Concert and Kindness Rocks that I'd mentioned. And then I started organizing all these community events, quite a few other ones too, really a lot like Man Talks, and, but a lot of, lot of different events. And, now, and then all of a sudden, I felt like my love is speaking. I love doing that. I loved organizing these events, but I never seemed to be able to attract the funding that I, I needed so that I could hire people to do things that were really stressful for me, like technical stuff. And, um, and I, I never got paid for any of these things, which was totally fine. I'm not money motivated, but I just really wanted to get out as an individual again in speaking, because that's what I love doing, where I can reach people. And then if I can combine that with community events, I still want, now I want to get Kindness Rocks going again. We just had great news there. Um, just got news that Pink Shirt Day, um, CKNW is going to be a sponsor with our Kindness Rocks show now. So that's fantastic. Tell people more about Kindness Rocks and what it is because uh, the audience may not fully know. So do tell them a little more about exactly what that project is and what you do there. Kindness Rocks is a rock concert. Um, Jeanette and Jonas who do Abacadabra shows all over the world and Michael Buble and Elton John shows and they do the impersonation ones. Um, there, we, we co-founded Kindness Rocks and we come in totally transform a high school gymnasium like with a stage and you know the bubbles and smoke coming off and big screens and this we have a band that these young guys are really hip and really good um, and then in between each song um, the band talks about how they were bullied or were bullies and every song has a really great message it might be Michael Jackson's um, uh, song, um, what, what's the one, now I can't think of it, but there's another song called Unwritten, but um, a song like, say, Christine Aglieri's, uh, the one, The Voice Within, or any, any song that has a really positive message, and a popular song, and then we use some of the students in the show, actually, like dancers or singers, so they're on stage, and then all the feeder schools come, so we have three huge concerts during the day, so we'll reach about 3,000 kids from grade one to grade 12 in that day. And if, if people go to kindnessrocks.net, you'll be totally excited if you go to see that. The energy of the kids, they don't want to leave the gym after. The teachers say, well, this is the best event we've had in our school. And the kids are yelling, kindness rocks, kindness rocks. And we even have bracelets, kindness in nine different languages that they put on their left wrist. When they do an act of kindness, they move it to the right wrist and they do that every day. So it's an amazing show. And then World Kindness Concert is a once-a-year concert, and all these top, well-known performers give their time. They do a song each, and I have a backup band that's amazing. And it got so big, it was at the Center for Performing Arts. 
downtown Vancouver. So those are two big events and I was just running around the day of the concert looking for a little screw to fix a visa machine <laughs> and here I had to MC it and organize and so it just got a lot. But now if we get sponsorship we want to do that and our vision say with the World Kindness Concert is to do it at BC Place and have a singer from different countries in the name of kindness and have it um, telecast all over the world like that would be huge. So that's been my vision. Awesome. Yeah. It's a great vision. Uh, changing gears a little bit here, um, in our day-to-day -day lives, what emotion do you feel that we need to practice as humans? You know, just to be real, like here would be a really good example of how I think we lose touch. You know, this is just one simple example, but when we're little, we're always told, now smile for the camera. So every picture is us smiling for the camera. So this, it's this fake smile. You know, I might be really upset that day, but they say smile for the camera. So we're asked to pretend we're happy. And I think, it, you know, that's how our life is. So I think every emotion is positive. So anger is really positive. Sadness is really positive. They're all really positive. Before I avoided those because I thought they were negative emotions. So if I was angry, what I did was hide it, and then we'd, we'd, we'd become as people like time bombs. But if we see that anger is really important because we've lost touch with our heart, and we're all angry, you know, so what we need to do is scream into a pillow or take a towel and wring it and, and yell and get it out and get back in touch with our heart. But what we do as people is we take our anger out in other people and things, or we internalize it and take it out in our own selves, like our, we're suicidal, like I was. I'm more of a internalizing it and take it out of myself I don't want to hurt other people and so um, <clears throat> what we do is we, we see anger is negative and we avoid it whereas to me now it's a signal that something's going on in my life I'm not happy with and, and you need to address it address it it's and same with sadness is so beautiful because it means we care imagine if we didn't cry so I think all emotions are really important I think it's just really about being real it's interesting because of the event that uh, we met at man talks I ta was talking to somebody and he said the exact same thing, where it's like, you gotta use your emotions as a barometer, right? And yeah. it's really an indication of where you're at in life. And you have anger in your life, yeah. you really need to yeah, let that anger out, put a flashlight on it, and understand where is that anger coming from, right? Because it's so easy to suppress our emotions and numb them, like you said, you know, when you're 23 mm -hmm. and suicidal, and it's just easy to disconnect. And that can take form, you know, just turning on the TV and just watching something or you know smoking weed or doing drugs or yeah. whatever it is and so it's just really important to be aware of those emotions and really embrace them because I feel like it's just easy to turn them off what it comes down to. Oh it's so sad. I, I've suggested to a lot of teachers and principals in schools and it's so simple. Just start your day by going around your class have them just say one word. What are you feeling today? You know I'm excited, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm, I'm angry today, I'm depressed or whatever it is and then the teacher might go around during the day and just say, gosh, you were saying you're sad, are you, are you okay? And they, they might say, yeah, you know, I just lost my dog last night. And, and, and then the teacher can see why they're sitting there and not really present, you know? It would be huge. But we're always so concerned with the math or science or all these different things rather than what are you feeling? And my belief is when I'm happy, I want to learn. When I'm not happy, then I think I have to learn. Well, it's incredible at school how we, they don't teach anything about emotional intelligence, right? You no. know, we learn all about subjects like physics, math, chemistry, all those things. But, you know, being aware of our own emotions and in touch with ourselves, like, that's never taught. And some people might say it's hocus pocus or fairy wash or whatever you want to say. Um, but it's so important, right? Oh. And not enough time is spent on that. 
early on in life to really understand those the impacts of that yeah if you, if you so with my bicycle trips you know I mean the thing that I notice around North America the most is every community is uh, it's epidemic depression obesity crystal meth different kinds of things and um, what's people, the cause for that what do you think is really well the... I think the cause of everything is disconnect from our heart like I was you know like so we'd have different addictions or whatever you know whether it's watching a lot of TV could be acceptable things right and I uh, um, the socially accept, acceptable things but um, but we have a lot of addictions because we numb ourselves because we don't want to look at think look at ourselves because you know as they often say change is really scary and I think subconsciously we know if we really start to go inward we're gonna we're gonna make have to make a lot of changes in our life we're gonna face some demons we don't want to look at yeah right? so it's easier to yeah. turn our back and avoid them pretend they're not there as actually truly acknowledging their presence and it's funny that you say that because I know what you meant about with the demons but I think it's all almost the opposite we, we, we find that they're not demons it's actually beautiful what's inside but when kids are told all the time they're a bad boy or a bad girl, I think we're brought up to think there's demons inside and we don't want to go inside. But if, if we teach kids that what's inside is beautiful, then they'll go inside and say, wow, I'm actually a beautiful person. My essence is really beautiful, but my actions aren't always so, so nice, right? But I think we often think that we're, we're ugly inside when we're really all beautiful. I believe that, you know. I thought I was, I didn't want to go inside because I thought, wow. I don't want to find out what's in there. <laughs> yeah, but now, you know, now there's more and more books about how, you know, beautiful we are inside. How to connect. Awesome. Yeah. When you um, spoke at the event we met at, you uh, talked about how you interact with strangers. Um, Tell me a little bit more about um, your viewpoint on day-to-day -day interactions and how should we treat the people that we don't necessarily know too well, or strangers as some people call them. Yeah, I, well, I think this is such a funny thing. I, you know, I, one of my books is about all the silly things that we do as people, and I think I'm most people are strangers from themselves because they don't know themselves you know so I think the more you know yourself the happier you are you don't see strangers anymore you just see other hearts I walk down the street I, I just see other hearts and I see if their faces are hurting or what they're feeling and so I just say hi gently to people and not you know try to make them uncomfortable and often people will say hi back if I do it in a nice gentle caring way and I have no agenda like I want something or anything but I so I think you know, strangers, we, we know people for years or we're married to people or we're living with people, we're strangers from each other and I believe I can get, meet somebody in the street and know them better than I've known people for years. So I think it's just how open we are and um, we can be open at first and then start closing off and become strangers. So, you know, I mean, they've done studies on it, like 90% of child sex sexual abuse, I don't know what the exact thing is, but is by people that people know it's not by strangers so we teach kids false messages you know you don't want them running off with a stranger but you, we need to teach children to listen to their intuition because they know when they don't feel comfortable but what we do is we tell them what to feel we teach them fear we put them up in their head and then they 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 they're disconnect from the heart and when they vision. actually need those emotions to like help guide them they might not actually have the ability to make a good decision they don't yeah, they, they say, well, this, I've known this person for years, or this is a friend of my father's, or say with abuse, or it's an uncle or stepfather, or whatever, and they don't feel comfortable, and they don't think they can say anything, you know? And so what I'm trying to do in schools is getting kids to say what you feel, that it's okay to say no, that no is as powerful as yes, and yes, it, it has no meaning if we can't say no. 
and that it's okay to you know if you are being abused that you can express that right yeah. the worst thing is to let it continue and perpetuate because um, you need to tell somebody even if you think it's gonna be the end of the world like letting other people know yeah it, it just it continues it's not gonna serve anybody right and yeah. so it's an incredibly difficult conversation I can't imagine but it's a necessary thing that we need to be able to speak up and communicate more it's exactly and I just saw that on a TV thing the other day about how if you're bullied say you were bullied once or five times or whatever <clears throat> those were awful things that happened but they happened in, in, a, in, in an instant right but what we do is we bully ourselves inside 10,000 times we go over that in our head and we beat ourselves up and we feel shame or guilt or whatever feeling and um, but we have nothing to feel bad about it's the bully that's lost touch with their heart but when we get bullied especially at a young age we don't understand it or especially with abuse say sexual abuse or whatever we'll carry that the rest of our lives unless we understand that the person that abuses us is sick but we what we do is often feel dirty and there's something wrong and shame and, and then as they say in programs like AA and stuff we're only as sick as our secrets or we're suffering in silence or you know hurt people hurt people and all these amazing sayings that come out of that so by sharing and that's why those programs are great is that people start sharing what they're feeling right. but we wait till we're often at rock bottom you know that so I believe totally in prevention you know that we need to start doing it in schools you know not waiting people and doing workshops to get well yeah we need to be able to express ourselves earlier on in life the problem yeah. is like even I look around the office and like you know how many people are upset with certain situations but they'll never talk to the person that can actually do something about it just a lot of talking behind somebody's back and that's how tension starts and I think a lot of the world's problems just come from a lack of proper communication right is people just not being able to address certain situations head-on and appropriately and being able to articulate their feelings in a proper way that's so good that you say that yeah it's because we're, we're so afraid of hurting the other person but we hurt them so much more by not saying anything yeah. so what happens in relationships often like say I'm in a relationship with somebody and I have tr trouble talking to my partner but what I do often people do I don't because they don't drink anymore but they'll go to a bar and they'll talk to somebody the, say the opposite sex or somebody they're interested in the same sex or whatever their priority and um, but they'll really share what they feel this other person the other person saying wow he, he really shares what he feels what a great guy and then all of a sudden he gets in a relationship with them on the side and then they find out wow once th you you're with that person for a while they stop sharing and then they look for somebody else there so it, it's like what you said we need to practice that not be afraid of of the consequences of saying what I feel yeah, it's a daily practice, being vulnerable and just communicating with people. Uh, it'll make a more authentic world. Yeah. What I try to do, you know, because I, I get scared of that too. I have all those feelings of saying what I feel. But I try to turn it around and say, what is it about me that makes it hard for you to say, share what you feel with me? To always look at it like that. Do you know what I mean? So in my To flip it around. Yeah, flip it around 100%. and say, what makes it about me that makes it hard for you to be totally honest and... and Am I, you know, am I taking it personally, or am I, or am I going to attack you back, or what am I going to do? So if I just, am there is an ear to, for you to share and, and for me to take it in and learn from what you have to tell me. But it's a hard thing, because eh? we want to, we want to put somebody down to build ourselves up. That's what bullying is all about. Yeah, well said. Um, any last things you want to, you know, say to the audience here before we wrap up? You know, I've really enjoyed talking to you so far, but any last words you want to, or thoughts to leave the audience with? 
Just so I want them to know what a great guy you are and, <laughs> <laughs> and what a wonderful heart you have and how much I'm inspired by your courage to start what you're doing because to, to want to help the world through what you're doing because most of us do think what's best for me and, and uh, for you to do something like this, like if everybody would think what's best for the higher good of all. I think really that would sum up what I feel if I really believe we're here to be of service and to, to think about what's best for the higher good of all. But I really want to say at the end of that that I don't do that all the time, and I, I'm, I lose touch all the time, and that's my journey. Well, thank you for uh, recognizing that. And that's the big thing, right? It's just leading by example. I've always thought, you know, if you want to be a leader, kind of um, the best place to do it is just start by doing it yourself, right? Yeah. And it really is just about inspiring people to take on the things they're passionate about and seeing what element of life can they create because what I find for me when the numbness happens is when I'm not creating or building the thing that I'm passionate about right when I'm yeah. going through my day-to-day -day life and I don't feel like I'm touching or connecting with people or the key thing is creating like I've always considered myself an artist mm -hmm. and so this is my outlet as creating an art form where other people can connect and understand um, how I view the world and I think what the world needs to become a better place um, and I think when people aren't growing expanding or creating or building things that they want that's when they become numb and that's when things become very dangerous and dangerous might be a bad word but they're just um they're not fully present with what their possibility is and yeah. what they could be doing yeah no i think dangerous is a good word because it's dangerous because it's easy to lose our heart and um it's just like if somebody takes their life my choice was i was going to do it quickly rather than slowly right so it, it is really dangerous because uh I see the, the results of it down the downtown east side, for example, you know, like people that have been really abused or really lost touch with their heart. So it is, we, we need to look at it like that. That. Uh, well, I look at the world of six billion people and I see misery, depression, suicide, cancer, and it's like, you know, we always thought 2000 was going to be this promised golden era of like cars flying, and it seems that the humanity hasn't progressed to where we want, and I think the starting point really begins with our emotions, right? You know, there's no reason that this with all the technology we have and all the wealth that we have, why people couldn't have more abundance in their emotions, right? Not physical things, but in their lives, right? And really being happier. Because I've traveled to some very poor countries and those people seem to be happier than the people in North America. And so I think there is um, an epidemic, a crisis going on. And the only way to do anything about it is by talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I know. And you know, uh, you know, just like when we go to somebody's funeral, nobody ever mentions how smart they were what kind of car they have, or what their house is, what even what their job was, it was always the kind of person they are. And, and kindness really begins with ourself, I believe that. Uh, I, can't be, I can be kind to other people, but it's not coming from a great place, you know, usually a conditional place when we do that. Whereas if we're kind to ourselves first, then it comes from a really beautiful place and, and it just spreads. Awesome. Great last words to uh, finish on there. Practice kindness in your own life, and I think if we all did a little more of that, uh, we'd be a lot happier with our day-to-day -day lives. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Brock, for your time. Really appreciate it today. Excellent.